Good morning, Trace Church. How's everybody doing this morning? We're like, it's all right, but man, Jessica and Josiah really got us with that, man. Anybody else think they were going to say they were pregnant? That's, that's just wrong. So I told them after they did that first service, like, Jessica and Josiah, now you got a whole church full of people praying that y'all get pregnant. So be careful with that, guys. Uh, my name's Trent. I'm teaching pastor here at Trace Church. So excited uh, to get to speak with you a little bit on the topic of church hurt. And so when, when Aaron and I, Aaron and I talked about this, I, I think I said six months ago in, in first service, but I think it was probably four or five months ago, um, it, it just really connected with me. And his, his lesson last week was kind of a lament. Uh, he shared his heart, uh, was vulnerable and emotional. And I hope to do some of that too, but the tone of my lesson is a little bit different. I want to encourage you a little bit and offer you some guidance in terms of how to navigate church hurt, how to, how to navigate church hurt. And as, as Aaron mentioned last week, like one of the difficulties in church is it's filled with people and ain't nobody in any church the second incarnation of Jesus. So everybody's got flaws, everybody's going to have failures, and those flaws and failures can hurt. Um, I should know I've been in ministry for 10 years. My wife and I moved to the Springs last March. And that's one of the things that struck me when Aaron uh, told me about this idea is like, man, I really feel like I have a lot to say about church hurt. But before I get into some of the ways I've been hurt, which I want to share a little bit of that with you, uh, I, I hope you'll, you'll listen if I'm willing to share with you how I might hurt you in church. So one of the biggest struggles I have in life is trying to avoid living uh, a lifestyle that I call a need-to-hit-all-the-lights lifestyle, a need-to-hit-all-the-lights lifestyle. So you might not have ever heard that before, but when I explain it, I bet you've experienced this. Have you ever gotten in your vehicle, looked at your watch, and said to yourself, I have got to hit every single green light from here to my next appointment, or I'm gonna miss the appointment? That's, that's what I mean when I say a need-to-hit-all-the-lights Lifestyle, and I've got the documentation to prove it. Now, I'm not going to let you get too close to this. This is a speeding ticket that your teaching pastor got last Sunday morning at 7:30 a.m. More than 10 miles an hour over, less than 20. That's all you need to know. That's all my wife knows. Right? I, I did not. I did not use the. Oh man, I'm a preacher. Get out of jail free card. I'm going to take my medicine on this, and I'm going to try to learn my lesson. So one of my big struggles in life is, is really trying to please people. And some of that's related to my childhood trauma stuff. And some of it's related to my calling in ministry and just feeling the weight of that calling. And some of it's personality or, or character defects that God is still working on in me. So how might this hurt you? Here's the way it would likely play out. You would call me and expect a return call because you want to talk to me about a critical or an urgent issue in your life and I don't call you back. Or we might have an appointment scheduled that you've been waiting on for maybe a week or even longer to talk to me about a really critical issue in your life and I reschedule it uh, without a lot of notice. Another way that I might hurt you is like we could be out in a hallway, you know, here at Trace and having a conversation, I'm present but you can tell like I'm not fully present. So this is tough to share, right? Like I'm trying to be authentic and transparent, 
But I genuinely want you to know if I hurt you along any of those lines, I'm sorry. I really am. Like I don't wake up in the morning thinking of ways to hurt people I care about that I feel care about me. And so if that ever happens, really, it's not you. That's my stuff, and I'm working on it, and I know it, and I'm sorry. And sometimes the script is flipped, you know, and I'm not the one that's hurting people. Uh, People are hurting me. Now, I've been very fortunate in my uh, church ministry experience. Like, I can't tell you a lot of church leaders that have hurt me or my family. I've been fortunate to be in church leadership for about a decade, but some people that I have pastored have really hurt me. There have been times where some of my closest friends have left the church, taken a lot of my other close friends with them. And there were a couple of seasons like that, too, that come to mind that, man, they just felt like they cost a pound of flesh. And if I'm being really honest, led to some feelings of depression and loneliness and isolation and hurt that I still struggle with, you know, today, years after the fact. As recently as Easter Sunday, my wife and I had to endure some church hurt. So the church that I surrendered my life to Christ in 15 years ago, that my wife surrendered her life to Christ in, we were baptized in the church. Um, They called us a couple of weeks before Easter Sunday. We knew a little bit about what was going on. The leadership there was just broken, and they were like, uh, Trent, can you come speak for us over Easter? Uh, This will be the last Sunday we have services at this church. We're going to close our doors. And we just don't know that we have the the right person to come in and speak and would like for you to come in and share and make the announcement that this is gonna be the last service at this church. Man, and I can't tell you the whole story. We don't have time, but it's church split after church split, one hurt after another, and you throw a global pandemic in there and these these guys just can't keep going. Man, that was heartbreaking and we're still feeling the heaviness of that. Church hurt, very real. And we're all gonna experience it at some point in time or another. So I I was praying about this and we're walking through some of our own church hurt stuff right now. And God kind of led me to to an idea that I really feel like he's prepared for our church. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look in the book of Acts, which is written by a physician. His name is Luke, traveling companion of Paul. And in Acts, we get a description of like the early church, what people are doing, how things are going, and what's happening. And we're gonna use the book of Acts to help get some guidance on how to handle church hurt. So I teach grad school at CCU at Colorado Christian, and I'm really in like charts and graphs and statistics stuff. So I'm not gonna go overboard with it today, but as I was praying about this, God really kind of gave me a vision for this this graph that I wanna teach from today. So here's the way this graph looks, right? Um, On the vertical axis, which if you're a stats person, be the y-axis, is the the idea of maturity, right? So at the uh, origin of the graph is like the lowest level of maturity, and the higher up you go, the greater the maturity. So the horizontal axis, the x-axis, that's time. So this would be the point in time where time starts. And as we move forward, obviously, time is moving forward. And so in, 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 our, in our walk with Christ, in our relationship with others, hopefully the graph looks like this. That's, that's what I want to show you. And I'm going to take you through the phases of growth that are really useful concepts for understanding and navigating church hurt. 
right? So the first phase of our life as Christians, the first phase we go into is the fire phase, right? The fire phase. So the book of Acts chapter two, verse 43, everybody's a new Christian. You got guys like Peter and John who are just preaching powerfully and, and people are being healed and lives are being changed. The good news of Jesus is just inspiring people and awe comes upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Man, there's this sense of awe in the new church. Now, if you look in the Greek, the word awe is the Greek word phobos. And phobos is the same root word that we draw our English word, that we translate our English word, phobia. Phobia. Now, it's kind of weird to translate the word that's our root word for phobia as awe, unless you kind of get what the translators were doing. So let me give you an example from my personal life. I have a phobia, and I am acrophobic. So what am I afraid of, ladies and gentlemen? Anybody know? I'm afraid of heights, all right? Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Acrophobia, afraid of heights. So if I get high, and I'm not talking about the kind of high people think when they think about getting high in Colorado first. And if I get high in terms of elevation, not mood-altering substance, as long as I'm not like super close to the edge and way overexposed, and I'm like back a little bit, I don't feel an overwhelming fear. I feel this sense of like exhilaration and anxiety. So I kind of like that. Like I like getting up in the mountains and getting around stuff. But the closer I get to the edge, the more my phobia gets activated. And that exhilaration, anxiety turns into overwhelming fear that's like crippling. All right, so that's the sense of what's going on here in the early church, right? Uh, people are exhilarated. They're excited because it's new. It's brand new. Like this Jesus thing is new. This thing called church is new. And if you've ever got a new, new car or new to you, like that feels really exhilarating. It feels really exciting. A new job when it's new and like your expectations are low and they're still training you, like it's exhilarating. It's exciting. You're just feeling like you're on fire. Uh, when my wife met me, right, she was exhilarated. She was excited. Now, that's never worn off for her, but in some cases, it can wear off, right? But in this, in, this, in this first phase, in this fire phase, where we're exhilarated, a little bit anxious, really excited, I'm being really precise with how I'm describing it because it is a feeling, and feelings do fade over time. That's just as it happens, feelings that are good and feelings that are bad. And so after the fire phase, like the exhilaration, the excitement kind of start to fade a little bit. The new wears off and we enter into the friendship phase, the friendship phase. We're hanging around a church like Trace. We're so excited that Jesus has transformed our lives. We're exhilarated. We're excited. We're on fire. And then we start to meet some people who are kind of like-minded kinds of people and we build some friendships with those people. And this is what happens in the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter uh, three, 4, uh, verses 23 and 32, there's some guys, Peter and John. And they're going around, they're preaching and they're teaching. And the religious leaders of the day are like worried that Peter and John are gonna totally overthrow the current religious system. 
And so they, they capture Peter and John and they're like interrogating them and they're threatening them and they tell them they better not preach and teach about Jesus anymore. And so they let them go. And where's the first place Peter and John want to go? Who are the first people Peter and John want to tell? When they get released by the religious leaders, they went to their friends. They want to go to the place where they can be supported and uplifted and encouraged. And what did friendship look like in the early church? What was that dynamic? They were of one heart and soul. This is verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They thought the same. They felt the same. They believed the same. They had the same mission and the same sense of purpose. There was a deep sense of unity there. And man, that's how it's supposed to be in church, like we kind of get connected with other people. That's one of the reasons why Trace is a rooted church and we have women's ministry and we have men's ministry because we're, we wanna give you the opportunity to build some friendships, man, to dig in a little bit deeper than just, just attending on Sunday morning. And those friendships are a source of support and encouragement and guidance. And so from friendships, right, so we go from fire to friendships, and then eventually we start to find our function. So we find our function, like we see people serving, we see people giving, we see people participating, and we're interested in figuring a little bit out about how we might can serve. So in Acts chapter six, this is what happens. Like the church has been growing. So early on in the book of Acts, everybody was a preacher or teacher because there weren't many people attending and they just got to spread the message. So everybody's out there doing ministry on street corners. But eventually the church grows and what the leadership recognizes is that some of the responsibilities that need to be accomplished in the church are not being taken care of. And so we've got to assign these responsibilities to some people. And so uh, the leaders in the church ask the brothers and sisters to choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and they're gonna turn the responsibility of serving the widows in the church over to these seven guys. Hey, we don't wanna neglect the ministry of preaching and teaching, but we also can't neglect serving the ladies in our church that need to be served. And so this is when we start to make some investments in the church, Right, some investments. And when we get invested in something, our expectations on a return on that investment start to rise. So you invest in the stock market, what are you expecting? A little bit of return on investment. You invest in a relationship, what are you expecting? a little bit of a return on that investment. And as those expectations get higher, my expectations of a return also increase and I go from the function phase to the friction phase. And so let me give you an example of this in my personal life, right? I have three wonderful kids and they fuss with each other from time to time. Can I get a witness? Anybody else here raising kids? <laughs> So they fuss with each other from time to time. Now, as any parent can, can relate, I don't always even notice that they're fussing with each other, to be totally honest, right? Some of the time, it just sounds like white noise in my home. And I can, I can tell that it's there, but it just really doesn't register for me. But at other times, right, 
I'm like driving in the car and they're fussing and I turn into the dad that I promised myself I would never turn into, right? Like I'm grinding the steering wheel, white knuckling this thing. And I'm like, if you don't calm down, I am gonna turn this thing around and I'm gonna ground you until Jesus comes back. It's just despite the, the, the commitment I made to myself, the inner vow I made to myself as a young dad, I've turned into that guy. So why do I notice it those times and not at other times? Here's why. Because in the times I notice it, I've really invested at a high level. And so my expectation of a return on that investment is also high. I'm most sensitive to their attitudes if we've done like an entertainment activity as a family and then we've gone out to dinner and we're gonna come home into a family movie night and that's like our favorite Saturday night rhythm, right? And so if I've invested in an entertainment activity, if I've invested in dinner and we're going home to watch a family movie and the return on that investment I get is bad attitudes and fussiness. He poked me, she took my thing, he pulled my hair, she said this mean thing about me. I'm like, I turn into the dad I thought I never would. And that has everything to do with the investment that I've put in. And so there's a story in the book of Acts that really talks about this. There's a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were like really close friends and they had invested a lot in ministry. And I'm talking about a lot in ministry. For example, one time Paul and Barnabas are ministering in a town. Uh, some of the religious leaders actually stone Paul, drag him outside of the city and leave him for dead. And he was in such bad shape that his own followers like circled around him and they're praying like, Lord, our brother Paul here is dead. This is just terrible. We don't know what's gonna happen. And he wakes up. He like dusts himself off and he goes back into the same city to do ministry again. And everybody else follows him in. Like that's serious investment. And so Paul and Barnabas are deciding like, who they're gonna take with them on their next missionary journey in Acts chapter 15. And here's the way this discussion goes. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. Instead, Paul wanted to take a guy named Silas with them because he's saying, hey, look, like John Mark deserted us in Pamphylia I don't, I don't want to take a guy that may not, that may not stick with us through the rest of the, of the journey. There's friction there. This is the friction phase. These guys have invested a lot. Their expectations are high. Because of those high expectations, there's an expectation on return, and there's friction. Now, look, at this point, there's not really any steps backwards in maturity, and what the enemy will do to you at this point, like as you're growing and maturing and you're spending more time in the church and there's some friction, is he's gonna say, it's your conviction or your level of commitment or your conduct that's the problem when it's really not. Or he's gonna say that about the other person. It's their conviction and it's their commitment and it's their conduct that's the problem. 
And it's really not. Look at Paul and Barnabas. Man, these guys were genuinely convicted that Jesus Christ was Lord. They were committed to living out and preaching and teaching the gospel everywhere they went. And their conduct was of the highest order. Nobody was really at fault here. There was just some friction that had a lot to do with the level of investment they had put in to the kingdom of God and the return they expected to get out of having influence on who gets to make what decision about who they bring with them. And I want you to just take that away from today, man. If there's friction, that's not necessarily a sign that somebody's immature or that somebody lacks conviction or commitment or their conduct behind closed doors is bad. That wasn't the case for Paul and Barnabas. And despite that, they moved from friction to a legitimate feud. Now it's an actual serious fight. So if we pick up the story again in Acts 15, there arose a sharp disagreement, a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas did end up taking Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Look, a feud, when a feud happens, right, and you're looking at this uh, continuum, right, you're feeling hurt, you're feeling isolated, you're feeling alone, and you got a decision to make. Like, how am I gonna proceed? Right? It, it, the three characteristics of like a legitimate feud, first, it happens with someone that is significant to you. Someone that is significant. And most people feel others are significant to them because of shared common experience, right? We've been in the trenches together. We've done hard work together. This is why men and women who serve in our armed forces feel such a connection to one another after having gone overseas and served. It's like they've been through things that have just melded them together. And in church, that's what we're trying to create at Trace by offering things like Rooted or a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. Man, to get you into the trenches of everyday life with people who are battling the same stuff and to get victory over those things in Jesus' name and to bond you closely together. But that's one of the qualities of, of a feud. It's gotta be someone significant and it's gotta be about something important. Right, so in, in the situation of Paul and Barnabas, like they're trying to decide who's going with them on a missionary journey. And missionary journeys in that day were life-threatening situations potentially. They experienced uh, uh, being close to death on a number of occasions. Man, if you're out there on a missionary journey and one of the people you're dependent on to be in your inner circle bails, that could mean your life is at risk. But it also risks the integrity of the mission. If somebody you're counting on to help you make it to the end goal leaves before you get there, maybe you don't get to spread the gospel with everybody that God intends to lead you to, and that means their eternity is at stake. Big decision, someone important, something important, and some kind of time constraint. Some kind of time constraint. Like for, for Paul and Barnabas, they didn't have a week they, or a month or even obviously not a year. They were ready to go. They had their mission. They had to get started and they had to make a decision. And so these guys feud ends up leading to a separation. Now, one of the things that can happen in a feud, if we separate 
poorly, we have to restart all the way back at fire. And this does cost some maturity. I decide, you know what? I got to self-protect. I got to withdraw and I got to back away. And I thought Aaron did a great job of this last week. There are some situations that are toxic that you need to get away from. Right? So I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about when you call me and it's an urgent situation, you're expecting a return call and you don't hear from me. That's a character defect kind of thing with me, but it's not necessarily a toxic thing. So if it's toxic and you gotta get away, then you gotta get away. But if it's not, and there's division there, then we start again at fire. We gotta get, we gotta get exhilarated again. We gotta find people we can build friendships with again. We gotta find our function in that place again. And then we'll, be, then we'll experience some friction and we will get back to feuding. Now, sometimes if you, if you need to leave, it's not necessarily about a toxic personality or a, a, an issue that's wrong, right? What we know in the scriptures is that Paul and John Mark resolved things, and I don't have time to get into all that this morning. Paul and John Mark resolved things, and, and as a result, we think Paul and uh, uh, Barnabas did too. And if you resolve things well and you still have to separate, the church isn't divided, it's multiplied. And so what do you need to do in that situation? If that's what's gonna happen, you gotta act with the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the jingle we taught my kids. So every time I say it, you're gonna get the jingle. All right, but, but what else can happen right, is we can move from feud into forgiveness, into forgiveness. So there's an acronym I want to teach you about this. I call it TPTG, all right? And when I told my wife what I was going to do with this acronym, she's like, you can't put TP up on the screen at Trace. Everybody's going to be thinking toilet paper. That was such a controversial issue last year, like you're going to lose everybody. And I was like, on the contrary, it's that kind of stuff that really helps people remember what you say as a speaker. So let's say there's a feud and it's like a a legitimate, strong disagreement and there's some serious disharmony. What what should happen? Well, the first thing is you you should take some time. Take some time. If it's a legitimate feud, your feelings are legitimately hurt. And when your feelings are hurt, you're in a little bit of your brain's fight, flight, or freeze uh, status, which means your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis is going, your ability to make decisions based on your moral compass is reduced, and your ability to recall events in the short term is also reduced. This, This is why when husbands and wife argue, and the husband's like, I can't remember what I said. That's true. He was in that, that fight, flight, or freeze state of mind where he couldn't remember. Gentlemen, and right there, you're supposed to say, amen, preacher. Like, that's good preaching. That's exactly right. So take some time, right? Breathe, relax, let your body kind of calm down. You'll have better access to your decision-making faculty, and it'll serve you well as you keep working through this. Second thing you should do is pray. Prayer really works. I was talking to a guy before first service and we prayed a couple of months ago and we just hadn't caught back up on it. And he was like, Trent, I gotta tell you what God did about this prayer that we prayed for this specific issue that I was dealing with. He's like, not two days after our prayer, I woke up in the morning, I was seeking God and God answered that prayer 
that morning, not two days later. Now, that's not because uh, Dr. T's got some, you know, magical one-way line to heaven. It's because prayer really works. So first, take some time, like let your body kind of calm down. Second is pray about it, and then go talk to the person. And how should you talk to the person? Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. With the fruits of the Spirit, right? Come at them with a kind heart and attitude. Seek first to understand and then be understood, like really share your heart. And then give and receive forgiveness. Like forgive yourself for where you messed up. Like, hey, I, I messed this certain thing up and I'm sorry about that and here's where you hurt me and I'm forgiving you for that. And man, if, if we can do that as a church family, then we don't just stay at the forgiveness phase, right? We get to go from forgiveness to family. We get to go from forgiveness to family, and that's God's plan for you. God wants you to have a family, a place you really belong. This is what happens to the Apostle Paul. All right, so if we look back in the book of Acts, chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is is about to head to Rome, and he doesn't know if he's going to be killed, imprisoned for the rest of his life. Like, he doesn't know what is going to happen. And so he decides to visit a few of the churches where he spent a lot of time just investing in ministry there. And so one of the places he stops at is the church in Ephesus. And these are guys he loves, but it hasn't always been a sparkly uh, uh, love story between Paul and Christian people. As a matter of, of fact, Paul was one of, if not the biggest persecutors of Christians in the early church. But after God transforms his life, like he goes back and makes some amends and rebuilds trust and his reputation changes. And then they work through their feud and they really start to become a family. And so he goes to the church at Ephesus and he tells them like, look, I'm headed to Rome. You might not see me again. And when he'd finished speaking, Acts 20, 36, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what they were most sad about What they were grieved about the most was Paul's statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And in Acts 21, Paul actually has to tear himself away from these guys to get on board the ship. That's what a family is. Man, a family is somebody you walk through the trenches of life this side of heaven with and get beat up and kicked while you're down and walk with the limp, but they're beside you. They're loving on you. They support you. They encourage you. They weep when you weep. They laugh when you laugh. They mourn when you mourn, and they experience joy when you experience joy. And as, Aaron, as Pastor Aaron and I were talking about this series, this lesson Man, he he was able to just help me more deeply connect with what God started Trace for. And and a part of that, man, is to have the kind of family that can extend hope to you when life hurts. That's one of the features of a forever family like this. 
And extending hope when life hurts means when you've given up on you, this family won't give up on you. And it's, and it's not a family based on a feeling. It's a family based in commitment. And it's a place you can stop pretending and feel really connected and like you belong. That's family. So man, if you work all the way through all this and get to family, you restart again at fire. But you don't have to come all the way back here and lose all this growth and all this hardship and all the work God's been doing on you. You get to keep growing in maturity and you get exhilarated again and you get excited again and you, you get set on fire again. And from fire, your friendships deepen and there's even more unity of mind and more unity of heart. And then you find your function and you serve it even better and you serve alongside people you love and you can trust. But friction will come, but you know how to handle it. And so even if it gets to a feud, you work through forgiveness, you take some time, you pray, you talk to the other person and you give and receive forgiveness and then you get family and get set on fire again. And that's the lifestyle God wants for you. And then that's the lifestyle we at Trace want you to have. And, and we're not gonna be perfect, but at Trace, we're not gonna pretend to be. And some of you under the sound of my voice have been really hurt. And it's all you could do to pick yourself up and come to the church today. And if that's you, man, I just hope that today that the Lord has encouraged you a little bit to go, hey, man, even if it's a tough time, you can still grow and get to where God wants you. Just keep working through it. Keep battling through it. Keep growing. And get to be a part of a family that will really extend hope and a hand to help when life hurts. I'm gonna pray. And after I pray, we're gonna go into our time of response. And I just ask you, open your heart a little bit. Let the Lord heal and extract any hurt if there's hurt in there. And man, I'm just gonna pray that God just really gets you connected in this church family, build some friendships, find your function work through friction or feud, and end up, man, deeply connected to people who won't give up on you. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, come before you just so thankful, God, for Jesus. Thankful for Trace. Uh, God, thankful for the men and women who are here today. God, I know in a room this size, there are some people who have been really badly hurt. And I'm just asking right now that that pain, God, would just, would just get relieved and people would experience healing. God, I pray that as we kind of lean into this space in our service today, God, that people can feel your presence and they can experience your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name.